the scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to look at Romans chapter 8. Understand that um, as you turn there, I'm kind of jumping into the middle of it. It's hard to jump into the middle of a, an incredible letter as such it is, as Romans. But in Romans, in light of the gospel, in the light of the grace, in light of the, 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 the truth that we recognize in Christ, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, that we're no longer to be obligated to live according to the flesh, but to have this new identity, which I'd like to contemplate with you. I'd like to invite you to stand as I consider these words with you. Romans chapter 8, and I'll start at verse 14 and read through 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, also heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may be also glorified with Him. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer as I prepare our hearts again for this? Lord, we thank you for your word. While it does give us life, we recognize that it is more valuable than our own wisdom. And so, Lord, as we even get to contemplate our new position in Christ, we have often trusted in our own heritage more than the gift of what you have placed us in in light of Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as we stir these things in our minds, even the rare opportunity where in our prayers we say, Our Father, that that would mean a little bit more after considering these words. And Lord, that you would strengthen our hearts and recognize that you are a God who responds to his children in a fatherly way. In the position in which Christ was placed in, we now stand in as well. I pray you'd stir our hearts with these things. In Jesus' name, amen. The privileges that we find ourselves in, in light of God's grace towards us, is astounding. To be the truth of the matter, Paul could have stopped, like at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As profound as that might be, Paul would like for us to consider a little bit more in light of our position and our identity with Christ. So I consider my own upbringing. I must acknowledge that my ethnic identity, my American citizenship, my social economic opportunities, even my inherent physical attributes have come from my biological parents. Yet in light of all those advantages or disadvantages, when I consider the grace received in light of Christ and God's mercy towards me, they are trivial. The theology of adoption 
should strike us uniquely when we get into Romans chapter 8. Whether it's inherently receiving the benefits of one's father and mother, but also we recognize that there are benefits even in our own fallen world when it comes to this idea of adoption. It's in 2019 when my wife and I sat with my three little girls in the courtroom. The judge was just about to finalize the trajectory of my little three-year-old, or three daughters. And right before he slammed the hammer to solidify the act, he said to my wife and I, would you consider these children in the same way that you might consider your own as it relates to your inheritance? It's an odd and striking question. It kind of threw me off. Immediately in the courtroom, when the judge asks you a question, you immediately say, whatever, right? But it is one of those questions, and that had two facets to it. The question signified that there was going to be a positional change for my daughters. But then also in light of that question, Will you set aside as you would for your own a future inheritance for them? It also had within it this idea of commitment that would be co-equal with my own biological children. I was taken back by the question, and I often have wondered in light of what I think it's like hinted at in this passage of Romans chapter 8, We all come from a variety of backgrounds. And my own children, whether they be biological or whether they be adopted, they know the answer to the question. While there are great advantages to being a Morris, they are trivial to the adoption which God has offered to those who might believe in Him. And all I'd like to do with you this morning is just ponder those things with you this morning. I think I take it for granted. The very fact that Jesus even taught his disciples to pray, our Father. How quickly we say the words and rush on to provide us this day our daily bread. Because that's what we need. But the means by which we can actually make such a request stands on both the position that we have with God, who is our Father, and the commitment that He has made to those who are His children. So all I'd like to do is just think about those things with you. Because Paul could have stopped at Romans chapter 8, and the hint of which he is trying to bring out for his readers to understand can't be missed. Verse 14, you are sons of God. Verse 15, you are adopted as sons. Verse 15, again, you get to cry out, Abba, Father. Again in verse 17, heirs, heirs of God, heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. Every time that I have come to the text and I see such a repetitious language, I think it's stated that way to make a point. And Paul, I think, desires in the midst of, of showing the church what they stand in in light of Christ's sacrifice and the will of God is that 
that something has changed, your position and God's commitment towards you. And so light of that, even my own children know, while there are many advantages to being a Morris, there is a greater family to be a part of. And that family has been provided for all who might believe. I'm going to jump right into it. And I said this already. I feel it's awkward because I'm jumping in the middle of Romans 8 and every theologian wants to go back to the whole letter of Romans. Or even Romans chapter 8. Like I already stressed it. There are those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation. The gifts which God has given to us already. The Spirit of God who indwells within us. Man, that's a sermon in itself. The fact that our Father... God our Father has provided us one who can create and sustain and perfect all things. Or the one who assists and guides and aids. And I'm already in danger of going off track. But I want to draw in to Romans 8 verse 14 and ponder some words with you. And that first idea is our position. Look with me at verse 14. For all. Who are being led by the Spirit of God. These are sons of God. The idea that Paul would expand the opportunity. Not just to a specific group. But it has a universal opportunity. And that all who have been gifted with the Spirit of God. They gain a unique position within the family of God. I already stated this, maybe, maybe more than I ought to, that indeed there are great advantages to being a Morris. My wife has the gift of gifts. And so when my three daughters were about to be adopted, the advantages of becoming a Morris is wonderful. Christmas is a big deal at my house. And that the advantage you might come into is good Christmas hot seasons. In fact, we have the opportunity as we recognize that in our own position, we are able to financially assist them in their journey of life. Or personally take responsibility for their character and their development. What I find interesting about the idea of adoption, which even in our fallen world loves to consider is that the one who's being adopted often has the advantage for the idea of adoption exists is to move them from a less a status of less opportunity to a situation which has a better future set before them. In fact, I stress this in this way, that my own position becomes the advantage of the one who's being adopted. But here's the problem. When the judge asked me, would you consider your children, which are your own, would you consider these own as those whom you would also extend your inheritance to? Immediately, even though my biological children were not aware of this request or considered its implications, my resources are very limited. I only have one house. I have a number of cars, maybe. But the reality is that this greatly impacted their, my own, physical commitment and future. But this is not how we perceive our relationship with God, is it? 
and that God is not the God who owns a house or a couple cars. The resources to his advantage is that he owns the universe and that to them he has provided the means to extend his inheritance or the the position which we might gain in Christ Jesus in light of who he is and what he, he has at his disposal. And that reality, it doesn't matter if you are of natural or unnatural position, all are inheriting this unique, privileged position. I say of all that to make this, this point. The position of the one doing the adopting dramatically impacts the one being adopted. This is why we can say it is a good thing to be adopted in the Morris family, but there is a greater family to be adopted within. Because even in my natural descent from my father, my father, I have never seen to be able to raise the dead. As much as I have seen and known that that would be a will of his, he might be able to go to his father's grave and say, Father, get up. But we know God who is our Father, who has demonstrated how He responds to His sons or His Son. And that is why the position of God, when we recognize the unique opportunity that we find ourselves, when given the opportunity for adoption, we rejoice. And Paul is clear that opportunity is for all. What a marvelous crime. Trust stresses the significance. And I, I, I want to expand on its reality just a bit. Because Paul uses in the last part of this verse an, an interesting phrase. While the opportunity is for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Striking. Some of your translations might tra- be translated as Children of God. I do not desire to, to critique that translation, only merely to note it that I wish it was sons of God. And imagine in a room like this, it doesn't seem fair that it be so specific to sons and not to children. But the phrase sons of God is generally a concept which did not apply to Gentiles. And that is what I am. If you allow me, historically, it was narrowly fixated on the Jewish community. They were called the sons of God. Why? Because it's God who made them. Remember Abraham. It was Abraham who was married to a woman who was barren. And to that woman, God was patient with her and Abraham in light of the promise. And at the age of 90, God opened her womb. And she gave birth to Isaac. Isaac got married to Rebekah. And Rebekah as well was barren for 20 years. And Isaac prayed to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? Opened her womb and she gave birth to Jacob and Esau. Be careful what you pray for. But it was to Jacob as well. In which we see the promises of God being fulfilled. And that God took it personally. That the nation of Israel was his people. 
He made them. He created them from the wombs that were barren. Mind you, this term is not just a New Testament term. It goes back into the Old Testament, Exodus 4.22. When Moses calls Pharaoh, or calls Moses to go before Pharaoh, he says, Thus you will say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. Why? I made them. They're my firstborn. Deuteronomy 14.1 You are the sons of God. Interesting, Israel has a unique position amongst all peoples. Why? Because God made them. And He had a commitment made towards them. As you read the Old Testament, it's like a drumbeat in which God, yes, while He disciplines these people as a father, Deuteronomy 32.6 Do you thus repay to the Lord? O foolish and unwise people, is not He your Father who has bought you, He has made you, and He has established you? The idea that Paul would use this language that all, that all would, who are being led by the Spirit, these are sons of God is an expansion and hope to a Gentile people that the same people who were established by God and treated by God and knew God as Father has now been given to those who are of unnatural descent, Gentiles. Might have was shocked. That's the whole reason the letter of Romans is written. It's clearly an issue within the New Testament. Can Gentiles truly become children of God? It's more than that. In light of, we recognize in the nation of Israel that God takes it personally to create the position of Israel and express His commitment to them. It also expresses inheritant language. I am the firstborn of my family. Yay. <laughs> and naturally we understand that by being, and even our own culture, dis- culture distant from past generations, usually the firstborn of the family gets the inheritance or more. But what Paul is stressing here in light of what adoption does is he has made the field equal. Imagine a room such as this. Like the idea for a woman to be called sons of God is unique. And I would just say be patient with Paul because he will call the men of the church the bride of Christ. There is an idea and which is trying to be communicated here. And I I wish that the translators would keep it to its point. Sons of God is open to all who believe and gifted with the Spirit, whether you are Jew, whether you are Gentile, whether you are slave, or whether you are free, or whether you are man, or whether you are woman. And that rank within the family of God is of first quality. Man, I can't even do that to my own children. My resources are limited to give such profound gifts that God might give to His own and that He has gifted His children, sons of God, the position. It's a position determined by whom He is, an inheritant. 
position. And which is not determined on race, on gender, or gifting, or economic, social economic status. It's just on your relationship to the one who saved you. I mean, that's, that's one verse which has been given to all who are being led by the Spirit of God. It's amazing how often we don't realize who we are. I think sometimes we value even our own relationships. But early on, I think this is why Jesus recognized and encouraged His disciples, I come with a sword, and this new position you will inherit in light of me with God, who will become father to you, who is father to you, you'll leave every family member you have in light of this new family I provide. And you see the early church willing to do this because of the position and the commitment which is being made towards them. And Paul continues. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. In light of Christ, our position has dramatically changed. We are no longer obligated again to live towards the previous fears that we had in our flesh, but now entirely relate to God differently. Let me continue. But you have received a spirit of adoption. As sons, not children, as sons, a term of inheritance and commitment by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It is such a healthy reminder to remind ourselves by the way that we relate to God is in an intimate relationship. Christopher Hitchens could not grasp the God of of which scriptures had revealed, because all he could perceive is a God in the skies who is waiting to catch you fail. But is that truly what God has revealed himself within scripture? As we look towards the history of God's interaction with humanity, even Israel, he has desired to be a God who fathers. In fact, I admit if that is the idea of God, who is merely the one who catches His creation in doing what is wrong, that is awkward. And would be the spirit of which we would have fear. I have a strange relationship with the IRS. One, on one hand, I know why they exist. Um, get my taxes. But more than that, they're responsible to ensure that everybody is collecting or paying their taxes on time and they're, they're doing according to the internal revenue code. And sadly, I think sometimes that is how some perceive God. There is the moral code, and it is true, God is just. But is that all He does? I have never heard someone say, I love the IRS. In fact, let's just take it for, for an example. After last year, I found out that I didn't pay $500. And out of my conscience, I went to the IRS and I said, I was short in my 
taxes and in fear of who you are, here's my $500. And they, looking over the subject of my taxes, they would, what if they said, oh, you actually messed up two years ago. We collected, you turned in 1500 but you only needed it. You actually overpaid by $1,500. So what we're going to do is we'll collect that 500 and we'll write you a check for 1000 Even if that were to occur, <laughs> would I say that I love the IRS? No. Because the relationship hasn't changed. It's still an enforcement. And the way that we perceive God as Father is that we have an intimate relationship with Him, that His, His desire for us is for our benefit. And so that when we even receive, you do not fulfill the moral standard, rather than getting judgment, we get as the children of God, the discipline within the character of God that aids us for our benefit. I don't want the God like Christian, Christian Hitchin professed. And that's why the gospel is such good news. That's not what God is like. And there was a time that I find myself slowly creeping to that perspective of him. And so in light of adoption, we recognize that the one doing the adopting has changed radically the position of those who are being adopted. And in light of that position, we can go before God and say, Father, intimately knowing that by the Spirit of God who indwells us, that we actually get to be present before Him. He cares about you. What you care about, He cares about. The way He responds towards you is for your benefit as a father. And so the Spirit of God, verse 16, testifies with our, with our spirit that we are children of God. That is how it is translated. Children of God. Men and women, slave and free. Whatever in ethnicity, we all are being joined into this incredible family where we all get to go before Him and cry out, Abba, Father. And it's done within not this relationship of guilt, but rather within this relationship of family. And let me remind you, that's not how it always had been. Right? We were those who purposely when we entered into this world, despised Him. Even knowing the righteous standard of God, viewed God and re- in a way that we saw it as an opportunity to rebel against Him. But God, rich in His grace towards us, demonstrated His own love towards us in that He sent Christ Jesus for us and that He died for us. And this opportunity by which we now stand is in light of God's will to be our Father. And the means by which all 
are indwelt by the Spirit, who have the position of sons of God. Paul, he writes this elsewhere as well in Galatians. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's profound. It changes the way that you pray. It changes the way in which you see the budget at the end of the month. It changes the like he knows. It changes the way that which you have a surplus in the budget. It changes the way that how you pray for your children. Verse 17. This one astounds me. And if children heirs. That's crazy. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. This is an area that I've had to grow in. And for the sake of time, I don't want to labor too long on this. But I've had to learn what has been promised. I even question whether I should do this with you so as to not feel like I'm jumping from the text. Romans 8, it's like the hinge of the chapter. I could look previously what has lied before us in light of our new position in Christ. The Spirit indwells us that we're not no longer to be obligated to live according to the flesh, according to sin, but to live as His sons and daughters. But then it's in a hinge because if you continue to read on, it talks about this, this future, future world and reality which has been promised where all things will be made new. My grandpa, before he passed away, loved talking about the kingdom. He hoped for it because he knew in light of adoption, it eternally changed his position and the commitment that was made for him even when he died. What I'd like to do is just, before we even go before the table, is just look at some of those promises. I love it. It's so good for my soul. Like Paul's going to conclude with like, we have hope. A hope that's not seen, but we can taste what's coming. We taste it in part because of what the Spirit has testified within us. But there is a kingdom which God is going to offer those who are his sons. And it is so helpful for me to see in part what is being offered. If you've ever had a family member that is close to dying, they often have a will. And if you're like me, before they die, you always want to know what's in it. The question is, are, am I in it, right? Selfish. You're thinking the same thing. Maybe. God hasn't done that. He's actually put it on full display what he has promised to his sons. Isaiah chapter 2. He's promised this, this new eternal kingdom. I'm just going to read a few of them with you. And as we read through them, I like hear what he has promised to his sons and daughters. Nation of Israel he called sons. This is to whom he proclaimed these things too, but also remember who gets to receive it all. 
that the Spirit indwells. These are sons of daughters. One, my grandpa loved, consider this thing. God will establish an eternal kingdom. Isaiah 2, verse, I'll start at verse 2. It will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. And it will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Who's that? Not just the Jews. You and I. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us concerning His ways. It is a great thing to hear from Ryan. But when you hear from Christ, the one who sits upon the throne in Jerusalem, what a day will that be? We'll all be taking notes. And we'll say, let's go, let's go visibly see our King. That He may teach us concerning His ways, that we may walk in His paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, verse 4. And He will judge between the nations and render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. A nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again will they learn war. If you're in Ukraine, if you're in Russia, what are you reading? The promises. Like it's easy to have in our comforts like a no fear of an enemy. But every four years, every two years, we start getting freaked out who's going to be in leadership. The good news is, there will be a day when we will not have to fear any longer for our Father will rule. And we will be able to go before Him and hear from Him through His Son. I long for those days. I could go to Isaiah chapter 4, but for the sake of time, I won't. And the day in which He will actually cleanse us from our sins. Isaiah chapter 9, and that He will actually act as a Father He'll be the Prince of Peace. Verse 7 of chapter 9. I wasn't going to read this one, but it's just too good. I don't like politics, but the gospel is political in the sense of the king who will rule for all eternity. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. How restful that will be. We talk about inflation. We won't. We won't in the kingdom. On the throne of David and over his king to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness. The corruption that exists within all of our best systems of government. Not in his. He'll be known for it. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of hosts will accomplish this. He will establish an eternal kingdom, sons, which you will enjoy for all of eternity. So while you hope in the present, know this, your Father has something for us for all of eternity. He's going to reestablish a new harmonious 
creation. Isaiah chapter 11. This is a fun one. I could go through the whole chapter, but for the sake of time, let me jump into the middle just as I've done in Romans 8. Not only will the Spirit of God dwell within him. Verse 6. This is crazy. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. That'll be so much fun. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Verse 8. Moms, you don't do this yet. But there is another family where you could. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. We're not there. I mean, I run over Candy Mountain. And I remember, I just think like one of these days, somebody's going to get me. A rattlesnake on these trails is going to get me. I'm not in the kingdom. But what has been offered to me as a son of God is a kingdom where my own children will play in the holes or the dens of vipers. That's crazy. And they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full. Imagine that. Full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the water covers the sea, everyone will know who is king. Then in that day, look at verse 10. Isaiah has a picture of the kingdom to come that's not just Jewish. The nations will resort to the root of Jesse. That's you and I. For all who are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. He will stand as a signal for the people's and his resting place will be glorious. My grandpa, I should say grandpas, and even myself, as we recognize even what our own families can't escape, death. You know what they longed for? This. Let me give you one more, and we'll go back to Romans. Isaiah 25. This one's a hard one for Baptists. Being a Baptist. We read it nonetheless. Isaiah 25, verse 6. We have to remind ourselves that Jesus' first miracle was changing water into wine. And Isaiah depicts when the kingdom starts, there's going to be good wine. Look at verse 6. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples, not just Jews. I mean, like, I mean, for some people, that's like, I don't you understand how hard of a difficult this was with an early church. All can become sons of God. All can inherit the fullest of the blessing. A lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine. Choice pieces with marrow. Like, that's a good steak. 
and a refined aged wine. Isaiah says it twice. Aged wine, aged wine. But continues. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which has been over all people. Even the veil which has stretched over all the nations. Verse 8. What will God our Father do through His Son? He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. I long for that day. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that He might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. The position of the one doing the adopting dramatically impacts the one being adopted. And knowing what the Father has promised is so helpful in understanding what is our inheritance. The fact that Paul has, by layer after layer, made this point known. You are sons of God. You are those who call God Abba Father. You are heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ. What does this mean? He's trying to remind you of our position, and God's commitment towards you. And that it doesn't matter with your male, female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, rich or poor. Those all who have been indwelt by the Spirit of God, you are sons of God. And that he says then, I consider... The sufferings, this is verse 8 of Romans chapter 8. I consider whatever might be challenging in this present season, the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's some benefits becoming a Morris. There's a better family to be a part of. Because there will be a day when the Morris family is no more. But there is a family will exist for all eternity. We have this thing at Reliance where we end with a convictional response in light of those truths. What fueled Paul so much about the gospel is he believed it wholeheartedly that God's grace was indeed available for all. It's found in the first, first chapter of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also the Greek. And it's because of his theology he preached and taught the gospel. Parents, yeah, grandparents, as a gift as children are, your obligation is to shepherd them 
into another family. Preach the gospel to them. Teach them the truths of Christ, that there is a family where death will be removed. But also more than that, Paul went out of his way to preach to anyone who might hear it. So whether that be in your schools, your work, any place in the community which God has placed you, we ought to follow in this same pattern that the good news of the gospel, the kingdom to come, is that God will receive all who respond in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we look forward to the day in which these things will be realized. And how quickly we even say our prayers, Our Father, without recognizing the incredible privilege that we have. One, we have peace with you through your Son, Jesus Christ, who has died for our sins. And Lord, we recognize that you care about us and that you have, a, have communicated your desire for us to call you Father. And you know our every need. And by your Spirit, Lord, you answer our prayers within that relationship. And so, Lord, I pray that we would walk with hope. But more than that as well, Lord, we know your heart, that you're not just the God of the Jews. You are God of the nations. And it is your desire for all the nations to come to know you. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful in the places that you have sent us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, in which we know we live in a world where families, even in this city, there are few to boast of. But we boast of the family of God, Christ Jesus, who has given us all things, in which we now stand as fellow heirs of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen.